Well, it's uh, good to be back. Hopefully you guys had a good Father's Day last week. Um, jumping back in Ecclesiastes, and I have to start off this sermon just by simply saying, Hevel. You haven't forgotten, right? I was halfway hoping somebody had the spray bottle and was going to be all spraying it in here. I guess not. So Hevel is a very important thing that you have to understand to appreciate Ecclesiastes. It's a word that we translate as meaningless or futility or vanity in Scripture, but it really has no English equivalent to what it is. It really has the idea of vapor or mist, this, this kind of substance that looks solid, but once you try to grasp for it, there's really nothing there. And so when you hear that, understand what that means. And so if you have your Bibles, being Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we'll continue on our series through the book. If you have your Hevel bottles, you can bring them next week and every week because there's at least 37 times it's used throughout this book, and you never know when it's going to pop up, which just makes it all sorts of fun. Uh, please do not create your own spray bottles. That's not what we want either. You show up with, like, super soakers or whatever. That's not, uh, that would not be, a, actually, it might be a fun sermon. I don't know. Um, so uh, we've been talking about chasing meaning. That's kind of the theme through Ecclesiastes is we are chasing meaning in all these different things, and there's only one thing we can really find meaning in, and that's what uh, the author wants to detail. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you this question to kind of set up or prop up this message today is this, is what, what fills your cup? What, what makes you feel fulfilled? Real quick, the person next to you answer that question like, man, when, when this happens in my life, I just feel complete. I, I feel fulfilled. I feel validated. Whatever, however you want to fill in the blank. You do that real quick for the person you're with. Take a second. Grant Lackey, as he was walking in today, said, listening to me preach makes him feel fulfilled, so that's why he showed up today, so uh, amen, brother, right? <laughs> sure it is. Uh, no, uh, it's funny what we might say, what, what makes us feel valid, fulfilled, or makes my life feel complete. I'll never forget, at my uh, last church in Chickasha I was serving at, I had a student that came in, and uh, they were trying to convince me that their life was complete, had been fulfilled, because in that month, they had went to not one, but two concerts that completed their life. One was a Justin Bieber concert, and the second was Taylor Swift. And, and because they went to two concerts in the same month, they said, I, I, I could die happy right now. My life is complete. And I said, you have pretty low standards, if that's what it is right there. And I'm going to pray for you and, and just pray that God encourages you through this terrible season in your life, um, which didn't. But um, it, the question we're going to address today is where, where can I find fulfillment? Because that's really what we're trying to find. We're always looking for the thing that makes me feel fulfilled, complete, validated. Just that, that's what life pursuit often comes to. And the truth I'm going to share with you today, which is really pretty basic, but is really deep and profound at the same time, is just this. It's fulfillment is only found with the Lord. I know, churchy, right? Like, okay, thank you. Basic answer. But, but there's a lot of truth that I want you to understand that hopefully we can unpack at the end. But to appreciate that, you have to go through the journey of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles there, we're we are actually going to read it all, but we're going to break it down in sections and unpack section by section, if you'll allow me. And if you don't remember, you have this scenario where the author is kind of writing about uh, the, the sayings of a critic or a teacher who is shared with him. And so for where we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is actually the teacher sharing from his own experience. And the teacher is kind of like the worst kid in the world you would ever want your kids around, right? And I'll explain why real quick, because look at the first one. It says in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, he said, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure and enjoy what is good. 
Like, he's like the worst kid ever you could ever, like, do not go hang out with that kid. He's the kid that says, listen, I know they say this isn't good, this isn't fun, this isn't how I'll make life fulfilled, but I want to test for myself to see if that's really true. I really want to see if drinking doesn't make you feel better. I really want to see if partying doesn't make you feel better. I really want to see for myself. Isn't that the kid that you just want your kids to hang out with? Like, go hang out with that kid because they're just going to live it up. Now, that's what this guy's like. He's like, I'm going to try for myself to see if I can find fulfillment. And the first place he comes to look for is in fun. In pleasure. If I find pleasure, I'll find fulfillment in that. And look what he says. He says, Sid, go ahead. I'll test you with pleasure and enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be hevel. He said, I found, I said about laughter. It is madness. About pleasure. What does this accomplish? I explored, the, uh, I explored with my mind the pool of wine on my body. Yet my mind still guided me with wisdom. He's like, I started drinking, but I didn't go far enough where it got bad, but I did enough to have a little fun with it. He said, and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people under heaven during the few days of their life. He goes to see if, you know, if living it up really brings fulfillment in my life, and he tests it to the full degree. He says, I tried just finding it in laughter, but yeah, I found laughter just to be madness. If you really think about it, just laughing and thinking that brings fulfillment in life is just having a good old time. He said, maybe uh, if I found it in... in uh, good times. Maybe that was as he said, but yet it, it added no purpose to my life. It really accomplished nothing. Uh, he, he's searching to see if living it up, living the good life will, will pro- provide and produce. Now, real quick, let me say, there's nothing wrong with having a good time, because a lot of times we as Christians are uh, criticized for that, is if you want to go be a Christian, life is going to be miserable. And if you're more miserable, then you're doing it right. That's kind of the vibe that the lost world gets from us, right? Like, I remember a guy in high school that came to church and found out he became a Christian because he realized, hey, I never knew being a Christian could actually be fun. I literally thought going and being a Christian would be the end of my life and did not realize it was the beginning of it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. As a matter of fact, at the end in chapter, in verse 24, he even says that. He says, there's nothing better for a person than what? Eat, drink, and enjoy his work. For I've seen that this is even a gift from God's hand. He's like, there's nothing wrong with having fun. But as Warren Wiersbe says, he says, while there's nothing wrong with innocent fun, the person who builds his or her life on seeking pleasure is bound to be disappointed in the end. I mean, we all think at a young age, remember when I was a teenager, we thought, man, if I just grow up and be the fun guy, that's living life right there. The fun uncle, right? Everyone's got one in the family, right? If you don't have one, you might be the one. I'm just telling you right now, if you don't know. I had a fun uncle where all he wanted to do was just drink with him and party with him and have a good time. And he was very crude and uh, tried to get me to do stuff that he knew my parents would not let me do because he thought being fun was the way of life. And at a young age, there was a part of me that's like, that kind of looks kind of cool. And man, he just, he's living life in an old age. Yet many of us who get older, we see and we know exactly what Solomon is talking about here. He said, listen, uh, fun doesn't fulfill like at the end, like it doesn't fill us up, does it? It leaves us with a hollow life. We see that person. I see my fun uncle, and I look at his life, and I was like, man, it's just a very empty, hollow life that he keeps trying to fill the void with joy and laughter and partying and fun and excess and thinks that's going to bring fulfillment, and yet it never provides. And many of us go chasing this sort of things, especially at a young age and even some when it's older. The pursuit of pleasure just produces a hollow life for us. And so he says, it's not, it's not going to come in being the fun uncle. Let me ask you this. Is fun your motivating factor in life? Kids, let me ask you this. Some of you kids in the room, if you could do one thing every day of your life, what would it be? My kids who just came back from Disney World said, if we could go live at Disney World, that would be living the life. And I'm like, that was miserable, okay? There was nothing. No, that would be like, uh, no, <laughs> not at all. But they're convinced, man, this would be fun. Man, if I could just 
focus my life on doing this and being that. It doesn't fill. He doesn't stop there. Look at verse 4 through 11. He starts talking about, well, if that doesn't, what about stuff and things? Like, what about these things, these accomplishments in my life? And I want you to pay attention to everything he says after he says, I. Look at what he says. He says, I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs, reservoirs for myself from which irrigate a grove of flourished trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were uh, before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I, I gathered male and female singers for myself, and I made concubines uh, uh, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be hevel, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. I love, notice all the stuff he does. I built, I made, I constructed, I acquired, I owned, I amassed, I gathered, I became. It, it all encompasses achievements, status, materialism to the full decor. He talks about building these gardens, which back in this time and culture was a, a tremendous thing. These gardens like we can't even begin to imagine nowadays. They would actually build aqueducts that would bring water in so people from around the world would come and admire these immaculate gardens you had. He accomplished everything there was to be accomplished. He had everything there was to be had, and all for what? For myself. Over and over, he said, this is all for myself, self-gratification. Now, some of us go, well, yeah, he felt guilt about that. No, he says, this was my reward. My hard work, I deserve this. Like, this was no guilt right here about all the stuff I had. Like, man, I should be giving this away. Like, I deserve everything I accomplished, everything I have, everything I built, everything I own. Everything is there. And if we're honest with ourselves, listen, everyone has been at one of these points in our life, right? You, you focused your life on material things. Like, if I could just have this, 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 my life would be accomplished. Or if I could just accomplish this or this, that I, my life would be accomplished. And yet they don't. Let me just be clear. There, there's nothing wrong, again, with having stuff or wanting stuff or accomplishing things. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but how many of us do you feel complete after we get a new haircut? You ever feel that way? I go get a new haircut, man. I'm walking around like I'm a new man. Like, check me out right here. Look at that. Like, I feel looking good right now. I get a new set of clothes, man. I wear that, and I have all of a sudden confidence I didn't have from wearing clothes. I mean, it's like it's crazy. And I want people to notice. Oh, yeah, you see this shirt? Yeah, awesome. It's, it's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's how we walk sometimes. Or achievements or what we build and accomplish, like all those sort of things. Do you feel complete after you accomplish something big? You build something, you create something, you feel accomplished, or you become the next whatever. Man, if I become the varsity basketball player, if I become the pastor, man, if I become this, my life is complete. And yet we get to those places, and what do we find? Exactly what he describes. He says, when I considered all I had accomplished, what, what I had worked for to achieve, I found everything to be hevel. He, he ultimately says, stuff doesn't gratify like, I, I can consume and get all I want, but ultimately, it doesn't gratify. I found this to be true in my own life just recently. Uh, for whatever reason, I took the foolish desire to renovate my bathroom. And it started to be just some tile work to completely gut it all the way down to the studs. I mean, the whole thing. I started in January. I thought it would take me a month. I'm still working on it to this day. And so I'm working and working, and I'm trying to think, man, when I get this done, man, I'm going to feel accomplished. I'm going to be done. 
And my lovely wife, like, watches me do it and just says, keep it up, honey, you know, pushes me out the door. And finally, she comes and helps me with some parts she can help. And one weekend, she goes, I'm tired of this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm about to snap right now. You've been working with me for one week. And as we're painting the bathroom, getting it done, and I'm working on it, I still have more to do, mind you. She says this. She goes, what do you think our next, our next thing's going to be? I said, don't you bring up that question for a year and a half. Like, I, I do not, are you, we're not even done with the bathroom we have. My accomplishment, still being accomplished, is already thinking about the next thing I have to do. You, can you identify with that? Okay, amen, thank you, somebody in this room. Why, why is it that NBA players strive to get this ring, and then they get it, and they celebrate, man, I become an NBA champ, and then three months later, starts a new season, and it's all forgotten. All it's gone. Their entire life was saying, and suddenly in a moment, they're right back at square zero trying to be the next best. He said, he said listen, it doesn't, it doesn't gratify. And what's sad is I think about when I told my kids, like, hey, I'm almost done, my kids' reaction, oh, thank goodness. And I realized, man, I'm devoting my life trying to get this thing done just because it feels accomplished. And man, what does it accomplish? Nothing. Nothing. And so the question we have to ask is what stuff or things dictate your life? Like, like, give you meaning. And I, if I could just get the next promotion, my, my life would be complete. If I could just have the next house, the next car, the next thing, it, my life would be complete. And, and he says, listen, it's never going to gratify. And so he talks about this stuff, and here's the funny thing to me, because he starts with thing talking about fun and living it up, and he talks about things and accomplishments, and most of us in the world would agree and say, yes, we know those things don't sustain and those things don't provide. Like, we say it, but our actions don't believe it, correct? But we, honest, we be honest with ourselves about that. I know it doesn't, but yet I still find my life pursuing things. I know stuff and accomplishments don't, but I still find my life pursuing it. Most of us know that. But what's interesting in the text is he goes from this perspective and shifts to a perspective that most of us would say is fulfilling in life and brings meaning. And yet he says it doesn't. And that's where the next part comes in, which is so interesting to me. He, he starts with fun and things, and he moves to things that we believe do bring fulfillment but don't. He starts with wise living. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, Then I turn to consider the wisdom of madness and follow it for what will king's, the king's successor be like? He says, he will uh, do what has already been done. And I realize there's an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. He says, the, white person, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them, to both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why, why then, I have, uh, sorry, why then uh, have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, this all is also hevel. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore, I hated my life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is hevel, a pursuit of the wind. He starts out with wisdom or prudence, this kind of this disciplined life. Like, listen, there, maybe this is, if I live a disciplined life, I live a wise life. What's interesting to me is he actually says there is an advantage there is an advantage to living a wise and prudent life compared to not. But it's not what you think. He says what? He says, listen, there is an advantage wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. See, the wise person has eyes in his head, yet the fool walks in darkness. In other words, he's saying, listen, people who live wisely, the difference between them and those who don't is they actually know what's coming. But yet we can't escape the same fate. 
I can live as wise as I want, but what happens? Uh, unwise people and unprudent people still live blessed life and sometimes live longer than me, don't they? And I can live as wise as I want. That doesn't mean I'm going to have a different outcome. The same outcome comes to us both. It begs the question that is ultimately saying is, is ignorance bliss or is it a burden? You ever think about that? People told me when I had kids, when I had kids, you would not sleep. I thought that was an exaggeration until I had kids. And can I tell you something? You do not sleep. You don't sleep ever. Now, I was ignorant to what was coming my way. I was like a fool walking in darkness, and I had kids, and I'm like, I don't even know what sleep is anymore. And you feel like that's the most valued treasure you ever had. Then we went and had our second kid. Can I tell you what happened? I knew what was coming. I knew with the second kid I was not going to sleep. Can I tell you something? My knowledge did not change the outcome of that situation. It just means, here we go. Let's just gear up. Let's just start drinking caffeine now. We'll make it. We'll survive. Like, knowledge did not bring anything. It just brought you better of awareness. He says, listen, I lived wise, and yet my wisdom didn't really change anything for me. I got the same thing they did. He says, ultimately, he says, prudence doesn't pay off. This wise living, ultimately, when you get to the end, it really, it really doesn't end in the end pay off when you really look at the scheme of what's going on. It doesn't. It begs the question for us, when you look at your life, does living responsibly give you validation in life? Here's one that church people fall into all the time. Listen, is your motivation just being a good Christian kid? If I can live up to that pedestal, man, my life will be validated. And we're living a life of prudence and come to find, listen, it's, it's almost never attainable. And once we get there, it realizes that sometimes it just doesn't entirely pay off like we thought. He says that's not going to bring fulfillment. So he talks about the last thing, which my grandpa would tell you is probably the thing that does bring fulfillment in life. It's hard work. It's hard work. As a matter of fact, my grandpa always said, hard work never hurt anyone. Hard work never hurt anyone. You put your back into it, you work hard, the sweat of your brow, there's nothing better than that. But look what he says. He says, as any optimist would say, I hated all my work that I labored under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I've labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is Hevel. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored under the sun. When there's a person whose work, uh, whose work was done in wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it. This too is Hevel, a great wrong. What does a person gain with all his work and all his efforts that he labors under the sun? For his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is Hevel. He says, listen, hard work doesn't really pay off. Why? Because ultimately I'm going to have to hand it off to someone else that probably won't appreciate or take care of all the things I've worked for. My granddad would tell you, he's a cotton farmer in West Texas, he would tell you that there's nothing wrong with good hard work and a good little back labor into it. Now as a man that's retired from cotton farming, he has a little bit of a different tone. You know why? Because he struggles with walking. He can't do stuff. All those years of hard labor had taken a toll on him to where he struggles just to maintain life. And when I saw him last, I said, you know what, maybe I was a little wrong on that. It's amazing how time will change some of that and how we look at that. Not just that, we, all this work we get, we pass down to what? Someone that can all be done in an instant. All your hard work, all your effort, all the energy poured into this thing that you valued and treasured, if I just poured my heart and soul into it, can be undone in a second. I think of growing up, my best friend, his dad was a gardener galore. Like that was his religion to him, if you will. He spent all day in the yard. Me and my friends, when we used to play basketball in their front yard, on the driveway, we spend more time trying to figure out how to keep the ball from going into the yard than actually playing basketball. That was the focus. Don't let it hit the flower bed because Jim will come after you. Every day of his life, every weekend, he was out there watering, caring for his lawn, caring for his garden. 
And when he got up and moved, after 20 years of caring for the saying, he sold his house to his daughter who went and moved in. And can I tell you, when they moved in, they didn't care about gardening. They didn't care about the lawn. And within one year, it was all gone. 20 years of work, of mass, all the effort, all the hard work, gone in a second. Gone, just like that, because he passed it on to someone that honestly didn't care about that sort of thing. Ultimately, Solomon says right here, he says, listen, at the end of the day, hard work doesn't last. I mean, it doesn't last. You can work, and there's, yes, there's gratification, but at the end of the day, all your hard work can be gone in a second. And what do I gain? He says at the end, he says, all this was filled with what? Grief. And my occupation was sorrowful. And even at night, my mind was not what was restless. He says, I found grief, I found sorrow, I found restlessness. I found that to be true in my own life. We're like, man, I'm trying to pursue, like, how do I lead this church to do this? And yet, constantly trying to hard work and accomplish and trying to lead what happened. I find myself tired and weary and restless at nights thinking about the next thing I need to do. And I just can't stop thinking because I'm trying to accomplish. And yet, it never comes to fulfillment. Now, like, the question you need to ask yourself is this. Is, does hard work make you feel accomplished? Now, if it sounds like a Debbie Downer and you're like, man, this is, I should have just stayed home then you're in Ecclesiastes. Congratulations. You're starting to get with where we're going. But, but there's beauty in Ecclesiastes because while it is very disheartening, it is very encouraging at the same time because it gives direction. And so he answers, where can I find fulfillment? And I go back to my main point. He says this. It's ultimately, fulfillment is only found with the Lord. Look what he says in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. Everything he just said were worthless he says, there's nothing better than to eat, drink, enjoy his work. And I've seen that this is from God's hand. Listen, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? You, you can't get it apart from him. All these things are meant to be enjoyed, but without God, they're, they're, they're impossible to, to be enjoyed to the fullest. I go back to what I say. Fulfillment is only found with the Lord. It sounds cliche. It sounds churchy, doesn't it? Like that's the church answer we should say, but do you understand its meaning? Do you understand what I mean when I say it can only be enjoyed with the Lord? Just to appreciate what I mean, I want to show you a picture. Uh, if you guys don't mind, put that first picture up. This is an important picture for me. It might not seem like much to you. It's right after I came here. We came here, we started getting plugged in, and someone in the church said, hey, I got some Thunder tickets I want to give to you, and they sent me to a game. I mean, it was cool. But, but you understand, like, I've been wanting to come to the city for a long time. I want to be back close to family. And there was something about sitting in this arena in this moment that made me feel like, man, I'm, I'm back. I don't know why, but, like, I'm back in the city. I'm back home. There was this feeling about it. That smile was literally enjoyment going on there. It was, it was a very special thing. It was cool being at the game. Like, I love the Thunder. I love watching. It was a cool moment for me. I want to show you another one. Uh, this is a getaway trip uh, where I went fishing. I was in Red River, New Mexico. And I did some trout fishing. I had a good time, and it was great. It was a great getaway. And there was just something about just enjoying life in that moment. Now, those are great things, but I've done trout fishing other times in my life. There's nothing special about this right here. And I've been to other Thunder Games. Let me show you what made it really special. Go to the next picture. Because it wasn't just a Thunder Game by myself. You see, my wife was with me. This is a dream we've had for a long time, being close to family, praying to God, hey, bring us. And sitting there, there was something about sitting in the moment together was a fulfillment. Like, man, we're, we're, we're in this together. It was a cool thing. I've been to tons of Thunder games before. Who cares about those? I, I don't even remember something I've been to. But I can tell you that game inside and out, I remember it. I remember the smells, the feelings, everything about it because me and Emily were in it together. Go, go to the next picture. A little girl right there, that's what made that one special. That was the first time she ever went fishing. She caught her first trout. It was this big, but, you know, to her it was this big. It don't matter. 
She had so much fun. You should have seen the excitement on her face. It was a great family trip. That's what made I've been trout fishing before, but what made it great is my daughter was there with me. It was a special moment that I got to share with her. Do you understand what I'm saying in this? Enjoyment and fulfillment came from the people being involved. It came from the people being with me in that moment. The other times I've done it, it was quickly forgotten and quickly left unsatisfied. But yeah, I look back at those memories and I remember them over and over again. Why is true fulfillment only found with the Lord? Because this is the truth. What I'm trying to say here is all good things in life are shadows of the real thing. Every good thing that you find in fun, every good thing that you find in amassing things or wealth or achievements, in, in living a prudent life, in what you find in hard work, all those things are pure, uh, mere shadows of the Lord. In, in other words, they're nothing more than just that. There's something to it. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can see it, but yet it never satisfies. Why? Because it's just a vapor, a mist of what the Lord really has for it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If everything on earth is hevel, you need to understand then pursuing the Lord might be something a little bit different. Online it said this can go 40 feet. Do anyone know how far 40 feet is? Do you want to find out? Some of you in the back row are shaking your head. I don't know why in the front row they're not right now. Listen, if the Lord, if everything I find on earth is that, then pursuing the Lord is the real deal. When the Lord is with me, can I say, there's actually substance. There's something that actually is sustainable. There's power to what's going on. And when I bring the Lord in with it, the source of fun, the source of all sorts of stuff, there's fulfillment in it. Let me say this again. Fun stuff, wisdom, prudence, hard work without the Lord is heaven. But with God, I really want to do it. I'm not going to lie. It, it fulfills. There's something to it, right? It's the source of fulfillment. It's a source of joy. It's a source of validation when God is by my side. Fulfillment is only found with the Lord. So as the band comes up, I want to ask you this question. Listen real quick. Where do you want to find fulfillment? Do you, do you want to spend the rest of your life chasing that? Or, or do you want to bring this into the picture and have hard work that actually pays off because it's with the Lord? Can I tell you something? Having fun with the Lord is something. You may, you may have to redefine fun in your life. It may have to be redefined, but when you bring the Lord in the picture, can I tell you something? There's something that's lasting about it. Accomplishing stuff, listen, your accomplishments may be changed in how you see and understand it, but when you bring the Lord in the picture, can I tell you something? There's something that just lasts. There's something that brings fulfillment in it. Living wisely, prudent, can listen, Christians, church people, can I say, we struggle with this one, trying to be good Christian people. And, and listen, we're chasing this when God wants us to have this right here. And it may mean you have to redefine what prudence, wise living looks like. You, you may have to redefine what hard work actually means. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly the change that needs to take place. You know exactly what you're chasing after. And so the only question I can leave you with that you need to reflect on is this, is what decision or action or change do you need to make today? Maybe you've been teaching your kids like my granddad did, hey, nothing wrong with hard work. Yeah, there is something wrong with hard work. When the Lord's not part of it, it's not worthwhile. Nothing wrong with achieving and, and trying to better yourself. Yeah, there is something wrong with it when the Lord's not part of what's going on. It's empty. And so my plea, my challenge to you is respond. Do what you need to do. We're going to have elders that will be right over here that love nothing more than to lead you through what you need to do. How you can find true joy and true fulfillment. 
But if you leave this place just doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to find the rest of your life chasing that. And so with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you would just take a second and just reflect in your heart. What, what, what do I need to do? What, what decision do I need to make today? What, what change has to occur as I leave this room? What, what new version of fun am I going to have to make? And so if you need to respond, if God's leading you, if you feel like tug, like, hey, I need to do something about this, listen, don't let this day go by. You get up and you go talk to one of our elders over there. They'd love nothing more than to walk you through what it looks like to have fulfillment in your life, to have the Lord. Maybe that means salvation for you, but don't let this day go by. So as I pray, I'm going to ask that you respond, then I'm going to turn it over to Matt. Father God, I thank you for being a present. I thank you for being faithful. God, I apologize for all the times in my life I've pursued things. i pursued stuff. i pursued fun. i pursued achievements. All the times i pursued things that had nothing to do with you. Even as a Christian leader up here as a pastor, I still find myself pursuing to be the next best whatever. And God, if I don't have you, then I don't want it. So God, change my heart, change my, my, the way I see things. Convict me when I get off path. Convict me when I teach my kids anything otherwise. God, help us to find joy in you and you alone. God, I praise you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.